Hey guys, Maestro here, and I wanted to personally invite you to Rockstock 2018, the movement experience of the year. Join us in sunny Miami Beach, Florida on October 27th and 28th for movement, laughter, dancing, music, fun, and yes, you will get CEUs. The lineup is absolute fire, including yours truly and your boy, Dr. John Campione. So head on over to rocktape.com, use the code RTPODCASTERS18, and save yourself $100. Yeah, 100 bucks. I'll see you there. What's up, everybody? My name is John Campioni. Thank you so much for downloading the Rock Tape Podcast. Today's podcast, I've got Dr. Wendy Korn, one of our Rock Tape instructors, with me, and she is here to discuss equine and canine taping. Wendy is one of our instructors that teaches those two courses, which is pretty alien to a lot of us. I know it is a lot of information that I was not aware of. I am not familiar with animal anatomy the way I am with human anatomy. Wendy really opened my eyes to some really, really cool differences and similarities that taping an animal versus taping a human uh, involves. The other really cool thing is how she brings it together because she discusses a lot about the riders of those horses that she works on and how the rider on the horse becomes one unit. Such a cool, cool interview. So much cool information. If you have any questions about equine or canine taping, this is definitely the episode that you want to listen to and you want to definitely share with your friends. Let's get to talking to Wendy and I will talk to you on the other side. I'm sitting here with uh, Wendy Korn. Wendy, welcome. How are you today? I am fantastic Thank you. today. Thank you for Thank being you. here. I really do uh, appreciate your time. And one of the, the most important things about talking to you is because of your specialty. So we'll get into that in a little bit, but can you give us a little bit of an idea about your background? You are a chiropractor. You were trained in I am a New York Chiropractic College, right? That's correct. I've been a chiropractor since 1980. So you've had a pretty long career. That sounded (laughs) terrible. I'm so sorry. (laughs) No, no, it's I'm used to it. It's okay. It's just a lot of experience is is what we're saying. So you're a chiropractor, but your specialty is really in veterinary chiropractic. Is that correct? Correct. Although terminology wise, we um, are very careful about the fact that only veterinarians do veterinary. So I do, I work with a veterinarian and under their auspices all of the time and both adjust and tape and do fascial work. So using my hands and the tools of the trade to make both the horse and the rider and their canine companions very cool. I'm very interested because, well, maybe maybe you did. Also, ask the question: Is when you got into school, did you intend to work with animals? Was that something that was um, talked about a lot? It's very common to happen, or did you have ever full intention to be working with human beings? And then somehow you evolved into working with horses and uh, and canines. 
I would say evolution for sure. Not only wasn't it talked about, it's still not a big part yeah. of the conversation, um, except I'm sitting here at a horse <laughs> show right now. So here it is a very big mm-hmm. part of the conversation. Uh, not so much in formal education. Having had horses for most of my uh, adult life from college on, dogs for my entire life, I always did some experimenting on uh, and working with the animals just for my own benefit. And then as I began practicing and getting requests from my equestrian patients to start working with their animals, um, then I followed through on the education. And there's a lot of education out there for veterinarians and chiropractors to learn how to adjust, how to tape, and how to work with that. So what really got you to transition from more of a focus on the human versus the animal? And I know with with uh, with horses, you're obviously working with a rider as well, too. So you are technically working with both the human and the animal. But where did you really make that that transition to really focus on uh, the animal rather than the human? Early on in my practice, the equestrians who asked me to take a look at their horses because no Mm -hmm. one was and they because the equestrian is such a unique Mm -hmm. athlete because what the rider thinks the horses feels when they're totally tuned in they really are one actual creature so they feel that their horse was off in a way that wasn't a traditional medical Mm -hmm. issue and they could feel it, and they literally demanded it of me to come and find solutions. And I love that, put a challenge in front of me. And, and I noticed with my own horse, one day he's bucking. I look, his eyes are uneven. I sense he's off at the pole. I put my hands on, no more bucking. So I would say the transition came from noticing that you get better and faster results with animals than you do with humans because, A, they don't get on their (laughs) cell phone five seconds after you've worked on them. Um, They don't sit. They And dogs even more so than horses because they tend to have more autonomy, you know, in terms of how they treat themselves, whereas we sit on a horse and put a bit in its mouth and force it to be in a specific mm-hmm. position, which creates both fascial problems and subluxation patterns and things that are, are typical in working horses. So the amazing piece is you also take out the placebo yeah. effect. That animal does not stop limping because it wants to please yeah. me. So I, there's a lot more trust when, when someone sees the overnight, you know, effect of what hands-on work does there's a lot more trust and i've actually built sadly more humans into my life because of the results with their animals so you can't avoid them you know even though i've switched to primary four-legged that in and of itself increases the awareness of the humans and that's one of the reasons why I've, i've sort of developed some human equine and canine self-care programs so that I can teach my people how to be respectful of the mobility of their animals. Almost like a kind of home exercise program for both, for the both of them. 
That's so interesting exactly. is, is exactly. you had such great trust with, with patients that they're just like, Hey, can you take a look at my animal too? Um, I hesitate to say it like this, but it almost like it fell into your lap where they just kind of understood your expertise and, and asked, is there anything that you could do? Very much so. And very much so. You know how I, for many people who've been mm -hmm. in practice a long time, you're so thrilled that it, that things worked out when you first started because you know now yeah. how much you didn't know then. And, and I'm glad I didn't know what I didn't know because I started doing a lot of the work before I had the knowledge of anatomy and musculoskeletal systems, which I've then since studied and went, wow, that's pretty fascinating. But when you're hands-on and you know what feels right and wrong and your intent is do no harm, it's amazing how things, you're right, they fell into my lap, results happened, and then I have to admit that I enjoy working outside more <laughs> than working inside. I enjoy the horses running to the, to the fence line when they yeah. see the truck pull up. And, you know, that's, that's a feeling. And the amount of gratitude that people give you for helping their, mm -hmm. their dog or their horse is quite amazing compared to the um, way they were when it yeah. was just themselves. Interesting. That's so cool. And it's so refreshing to hear you say that because I think a lot of people might have aspirations to start working with horses or canines and they're kind of um, stuck going, where do I begin? Where do I start? And from your story, it's, you just start, you just, you know, have a good relationship and see what you can do. So what sort of kind of, um, additional education did you have to bring into your practice in order to really get, you know, uh, into working with these, these type of animals, you know, was there a, is there a specific like, assessment process? What, what, what changed for you basically? Oh, it's a mm -hmm. very big process because I would yeah. say, don't just jump in. If you don't, if you're not comfortable mm -hmm. around an animal, do not okay. start Good by point. working on it. You know, there's a lot of background work. I recommend strongly it, that anyone who is interested in working with horses spend a year at a barn being the groomer, picking up their feet, learning the safety first, because having had many injuries related you know, when your human patients get feisty, they don't generally kick you and break your leg. Um, so you have to realize when you're dealing with something that outweighs you by a thousand pounds, it requires a different level point. of respect. And all dogs bite, especially the ones whose owners say my dog never bites. So, so definitely learn how to handle an animal before you even okay. start with an education. Then um, we and our team, my team at Equiline, is made up of a veterinarian who has a huge okay. chiropractic background and acupuncture and, and a lot of hands-on healing as well has done the rock tape courses. So we have that as one of our resources. Then both uh, my husband and I who work as a team took the American Veterinary Chiropractic Association course, which is 300 hours of anatomy, physiology, understanding what you're looking at so that you're always making the best choice for the horse. Sometimes my best choice when I'm called in is to say, mm -hmm. this is a veterinary issue. And, and we have a saying in equine, first the feet, then the teeth, then 
do hands-on adjusting and body work and taping because it's like anything else. If you don't deal with the pathology, if you don't deal with the pain first, the compensations are going to come right back. So it's important to have a very good relationship within the community of practitioners so that you, in like many cases, you go to school to learn what not to do as well as what to do. So that's where the education piece is really, really important. So um, when I try to educate my owners, Mm -hmm. because I travel so much, they have a lot of homework. And I'm developing, and it's soon, like hopefully within weeks, courses that are coming out for people to work on their own horse and their own dog so that they stretch them correctly in a way that can't harm them and they groom them in a way that helps uh mobilize everything in a respectful way and you know do what you can within the limitations of your expertise but give them something that they still can do without feeling you know helpless exactly and it helps maintain it and it helps contain issues until other help can come so it, it's pre it's prevention and it's sort of prehab and rehab combined That's so cool so i guess a good way to kind of jump into how you work with animals is how, how do you if there is an answer to this um how do you establish a relationship with that animal um is it something that you do with all animals is it something that has to be individualized to every specific animal what is what is there a trick what what do you typically do what do you have to do i love that question because the answer all the way around is yes yes there's a typical pattern um animals are so smell sensitive that i always approach them by letting them sniff me first whether they're a horse Mm -hmm. or a dog well, we won't talk about cats. We call that blood sport. Um, <laughs> only under dire necessity. But once they can smell you and and learn about you, because if you know that in in both equine and canine behavior, how do they, they greet each other? Each yeah. other? You know, they do this. They smell each other. So I want to smell. And even if I'm going to use a blading tool or I'm going to use tape, I let them smell it first. This is how I introduce it into their environment. If Otherwise, to go through the everyone's an individual, if a horse is used to being taken care of and used to having its feet touched and all of that, that's always a safe place to stop because they're used to being touched there. Whereas some will be spooky about being touched around their head or if they're in pain, they're going to be defensive and that will be striking out with their hooves or their teeth. So I like to start at a place that doesn't hurt and move towards and pretty much the same way I treat humans. You know, I mean, if someone says this hurts, I don't poke (laughs) that instantly. I poke elsewhere, you know, warm my way up because you want to develop trust is the most. And with animals, if you betray that trust day one, it is really, you can't talk your way back into it. So, you know, slow and introduce myself and, you know, work with their comfort zones. And that's, um, it's amazing because, and I have hundreds of videos where the horse is up against the wall, eyes bulging out, and within five minutes, their eyes are closed, their heads resting on your, on your shoulder, and they're grateful. 
because when you respect them and you give them some degree of comfort, an amazing amount of trust is built up in that moment. That's, that's so interesting. uh, It's just, it's so funny, the parallels with human beings, because that's what we have to do with human beings. Like you have to introduce yourself. You have to make them feel comfortable. You have to uh, let them know what you're supposed to be doing. You know, we talk about the biopsychosocial model in our classes all the time. And that's kind of what that sounds like to me is whatever the organism in front of you, you have to make them comfortable and establish uh, a trust between you and them. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I've taught neurolinguistics for years and rapport building skills. And I mean, that's a love of my life. I've done that since the 70s. And it is absolutely as important. And it's a part of enjoying the relationship with whatever creature, biped or quadruped. It it makes it fun for you, too. and, And absolutely. Absolutely. And when they move towards you and you and also one of the things that's true with humans and animals is breathing patterns is one of the quickest ways to establish rapport and build trust so breathing whether it's with a dog or with a Mm -hmm. horse or with your human is a way of unconsciously saying hi trust me i I that's so interesting so you know my my ignorance uh, on the subject matter i don't work with animals you know if i'm doing breathing exercise with human of course i rely on my ability to explain it which is never always that good anyways but when i'm dealing if you're if you are dealing with an animal see there's the example of me not being able to explain something if you're dealing with an animal how do you work with them to work on their breathing because you obviously can't necessarily instruct them verbally so what do you do Actually, it's really, really the same thing as with humans because the words don't matter that much. It's matching okay. and mirroring. I tend to breathe with them and then alter my breathing and invite them to follow. So if they're very nervous and they're breathing rapidly, I'll start breathing and I'll pace my words and my tone and my talking to them to that rapid pace and then just start okay. to slow it down. And if we're dancing well, they come right with me. You know, and again, it's easier if you address the levels of pain mm-hmm. first so that you're building more trust by making them feel better in any spot. And then you'll see that, that they'll follow your breathing more quickly as you give them something, as you give them the gift of So you're better. saying get them out of pain first, and then you can start to, uh, that helps you establish a relationship and trust, and then you can start to move on from there. So the question Absolutely. then comes, how do you get them out of pain? What sort of tools are you utilizing, manual techniques are you utilizing to really get and attack that pain? Uh, my typical routine is to do a chiropractical Um, evaluation first. So horses um, stand on their, on their middle fingers. They, their actual hooves are made up of of fingers. They're what was commonly called the knee in a horse is actually the wrist. So when you look up from the hoof up the front leg, Mm -hmm. the first big bulge is actually their carpal bones, which then come up to their shoulder. They don't have clavicles, scapula. So I will start and I will mobilize the coffin joint, which is where the uh, hoof will meet the cannon boat. And then I'll mobilize the 
bones of the wrist or what they call their knee and then mobilize the elbow, the shoulder, and I'll feel for restriction and I'll improve the mobility in through theirs, either with just range of motion or actually putting a thrust into the area if there's fixation. Working the way around all four legs, you know, bringing the hips up. So you're literally bringing that large hind leg up parallel to make sure you get full mm -hmm. range of motion in the hips. And then we'll go through cervical spine, uh, literally all seven vertebra, the jaw, the occiput, all of those get checked for mobility. And then after I've done that, I will usually take out my blade, my fascial tool, and I'll go through areas and notice the most beautiful thing about working on dogs and horses if you know the fascia lines and you've done anatomy training and you use the blade, it will actually ripple along the entire fascial plane to show you the upstream, downstream and what's going on. And when you work through it and put your 30 or 60 seconds worth in, you will then be able to go over it. And the human watching will go, oh, my God, I can't believe that was so you know, so much of a demonstration, they could see the actual ripple effect along that whole fascial line. And I can explain to them how the head is attached to the hind leg in one contiguous um, chain. And then they understand why I say to them, the reason your horse can't lower its head down and move forward is because of something going on with its hind leg and they get it and they get the connectivity way better than they do for themselves <laughs> and so other humans. That's so cool. But they can see it because ho horses and, and dogs don't have a lateral lemniscus the, the, uh -huh. the way we do. And so they don't have inhibition of that movement. Um, and they have a slightly different neurological pattern that we can use to read what's going on and I choose to interpret it as fascia. I'm going to be at the fascial conference in Germany in November. The one that was in DC a mm -hmm. few years ago actually had the equine dissections there showing uh, that time seven, now eight of the fascial lines as they occur in the equine. So we know that we're dealing with similar functionality. And then I will go over and I will tape areas that I'm trying to connect. So if I feel like the brain is not quite communicating as well with one area of the body compared to another, I will often tape to connect their right front to their left hind, or I will tape to uh, create more awareness of the hind leg if they're overusing the front. So depending upon what my outcome is, is how I use my hands and my tools. That's so interesting because, you know, again, I don't work with animals, so I'm so focused on, on the human being's anatomy. Um, is it appropriate to maybe kind of make comparisons to the animal versus the human being just to kind of grasp the concept? Or is it like, no, no, they're completely different kind of things? Yes. No, they are more similar than you would ever yeah. imagine. They are... I mean, the, the superficial dorsal line goes from the horse's uh -huh. top of his head 
all the way along the top of the back, down the glutes, and down Just to like the bottom of That's his so foot. Cool. Same as a human. Superficial ventral line starts up at the pole, goes down in front of the shoulder, along the belly of the horse, down the front of the leg, and down to the foot. Lateral line makes the same squiggly pattern that looks like diamonds up the side of the horse and explains bulging. You know, I, the, the challenge for me is getting them to squat. You know, they just won't show me their <laughs> squats. So it's a little, you have to evaluate more hands-on, a little bit okay. less behaviorally. But um, I'm working on that. But the, the, there is a tremendous amount of similarity in how the pieces of the horse interconnect and what that helps me do is when a human sees that, I can say, look, you have uh -huh. diagonals too. You know, you have to strengthen your rear because you understand that horses are rear wheel driven and that you can't get strength without building a top line. Well, you need lats and you need rhomboids and you need, you know, glutes in order for you not to throw your horse off pattern because when you move forward they have to lift up to protect yeah that's such a cool thing so, that I, I find with our equine courses is is i think a lot of people just make the assumption um you know just justifiably is uh it's oh it's you're taping horses you're doing the tool on the horses but you address the rider as well so when you are assessing the animal um and the rider do you do this separately you had mentioned earlier how they're kind of there's a symbiotic relationship between the two. So is it more effective to assess and screen together or is there individuality with one or the other uh, at a certain point during your assessment process? And the answer to yep. that is yes to both because, because in the world that I'm in, often horses are ridden by multiple okay, good people. And, and I, it's, it's, Sometimes um, you have humans who are less willing to change anything okay. about themselves. And uh, the better riders, if you go to the Olympic level or right now the World Equestrian Games, which are happening in North Carolina, unless the hurricane <laughs> stops that, um, there's um, these are these patients of mine, horse and rider, the humans at the top level take as good care of themselves as they do of their animals but that's not typical throughout okay. the entire industry so when i walk into a barn and i see six horses with the same pattern that's a screaming the human is responsible oh. you know you have someone who overweights their right leg who has a lateral shift who is torqued and the right shoulder comes forward and the left hip goes back, that pattern is gonna show up on every horse. And we've taught a course, there's a, something called Equine Affair that attracts hundreds of thousands of people um, around. There's one in uh, Massachusetts, one in Ohio and one in California. And we've taught it that and we've taught a program called Human Induced Equine Imbalance. And we brought the horses out, found their problem riders out and were able to demonstrate and predict what that human would be like based on so not necessarily something you find horse. when you assess the human but specifically how the human is riding the horse 
which could be something that, that is caused by their own dysfunction. Absolutely. When I find someone with, with um, a very weak abductor on one leg or they have, you know, everybody seems to either have um, a yeah. uh, hip flexor issue or a rotator cuff issue. I mean, you know, the typical patterns we see even in just human practice, when you then ask for your body to sit on a horse and have yeah. balance from your left and your right and communicate the same with both legs and communicate the same with both arms, um, the habits that they do on the ground show that up. Is, that is such a cool example of that symbiotic relationship. And that puts a whole new meaning to where you think it is, it ain't. Because when you have that horse attached, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. just the fact that you're pulling a little bit too much on the reins one side, it's going to really affect the horse. Just like an athlete who's squatting and leaning towards one side, it's going to put a lot more stress on that side. That's so amazing. I, I have a um, group of exercises that I leave uh -huh. with the patients okay. that just has a band. And because you can use a band, okay. put it on, if you can imagine a stall door, <laughs> like a prison wall, right? And I just have them use that stall. And I say, in between every horse, you're going to get on another horse. I want you to decondition yourself. I want you to, whatever that pattern of that horse's ride, mm -hmm. you don't want to bring that on to the next horse. So here are some exercises that you can do to restructure yourself into neutral. And I tend to leave this at every major barn that I go to and say, these are your barn cores. You have your barn <laughs> chores. Here are your barn cores, you know, and have them do Bruger exercises up oh, and down cool. the aisle. So it's so cool. The compliance <laughs> is less than 1%. I go there, they're braided. I, you know, it's so it's like, okay, I will offer yeah. you that which will help you. Yeah. Then, then it's up to you. You know, it's your life. It's your animal. The higher they are in the in the food chain of performance, the more likely they are to do humans, it. Humans, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, humans. Yes, I know. And I love when I answer the phone and someone says, "Can I see you at five? And I'm like, "Human." And I, it it makes my life so happy that that question might, is not question. You might be the only you know, person that's I know the way it is. whose subjective form patient intake form might have a space to check human or something else <laughs> oh ab absolutely uh you know and it's um and going to the canine course and even though we don't really have the same symbiotic relationship you do have people who you know i i do a lot of agility dogs i do a lot of dogs who are asked to do things that have repetitive trauma issues to them the amount of ACL injuries really? in, in dogs is insane. And so it, it, I see them every single week. And my job is to work with the veterinarian and we talk, can we balance mm -hmm. this dog so that it's not surgical? Can we balance them if they've been, you know, operated on and now they, it, the typical medical approach for everything is stall rest mm -hmm. or um, cage rest. And that goes against everything that I kind of like with humans is, is oh, oh, it hurts rest. That's not what exactly. you should be doing. That is so cool to see exactly. the connection there. 
So spiral line on dogs is that's my mine favorite on humans. thing. That's amazing. I do it every week. There isn't a week that goes by. I love spiral line because you have something that's uh-huh. circumducting its hind leg and then you've taped it and now they're moving forward normally. And in seconds. So you go from majorly dysfunctional to relatively normal in seconds. You can't and no placebo. You know, whereas humans, I say, could you please engage? Well, I say engage your hind end. <laughs> what we mean is pelvic tuck. Um, when I work on my humans, I call the heel bone, the, the um, you know, hawk. I call the knee, the stifle. So uh-huh. I keep the terminology the same so that I can keep reinforcing that they are yeah. a fifth, they're a partner. This, your, your equestrian is your athlete. And I actually, I, I write courses for BrainTap. Uh-huh. I've, I've written 18 of them for equestrian performance to get their mind right so that they can get that your mind is your body, is your performance. And that's, yeah, that's, that's so interesting. Um, can we go back a little bit? Can you kind of walk everyone through as best you can without images, the spiral line on a dog? Oh, absolutely. Um, my most effective spiral line on the dog actually starts at the sacroiliac, comes down around the front of the leg or the stifle or kneecap, if we're, mm-hmm. if we're looking for what the anatomy is, back over the ischium, around the front of the leg again, going over the hock and spiraling all the way down so you get to the fetlock or that little heel that you see but ending above the level wow, of the so paw. Cool. It's connect. Uh-huh. So we're connecting function from the pelvis yeah. all the way down to the foot. And it's, I'm, sure. I'm a bilateral kind of person. So I'll watch them go after I've taped the affected leg. And then I will often for the benefit of the dog and for the benefit of the human understanding balance, I say, okay, now that we've done and walked that a few times, I'm going to put this on bilaterally so the brain is getting the same information from both sides. And they get it. And I I have so many pictures of the labs and the the American Bulldogs and the, you know, the big um, breeds that'll tend to need this and the Chihuahuas. And boy, I use little (laughs) RX tape on the Chihuahuas because... They are they are the most delicate little creatures when you're taping on the inside of the leg, and that tape will stay on for a week or more uh, yeah. unless you remove it. So that's the other thing, the you know the fact that the taping will tend to stay on. I just had it on a, a horse that they said, look, it's been over a week. Should I take it off? Uh-huh. I said, well, we tend to say four days. But that's kind of awesome since he's been outside and in the rain and, yeah. you know, living the horse life. So um, there's a lot of belief systems about whether it'll stay on or not. And I always answer, yeah, it I mean, either will or it won't. Um, we won't yeah. know until we put it on yours. You so, know? so that's just the way it is. That brings up um, uh, uh, the question I get a lot. And I feel bad because I always want to have a good answer for something. And this is one I don't have a good answer for. Is people always ask me, what is, what is the equine tape like? What is the animal tape like? 
and then how do you apply it? Does it stay on? What about hair? All those things. So let's dive into that. Let's talk about taping an animal from the kind of tape to the application. Cool. Well, that I it whether you okay. use H2O tape or equine tape, I find the same results. I think they're okay. So the design well, on the virtually back. the same. It's just whatever. <laughs> <laughs> to, my, to my knowledge, to my knowledge, they're they're both okay. stickier and stronger than human. So, um, I I'm happy with both. Lots of the the hooves that are on the back of the equine tape yeah. make lots of my clients happy. Um, what there's rules sadly with tape really? or shows they're not allowed out of the stall because it's considered an unfair <laughs> advantage so i can only tape it's the exact opposite of what i'd oh like my. to do which is tape and have them move so i rather do these things um yeah at, um, during training at their home barns rather that shows because even in fei and to fei which is the federation um Equestrian International, and it is uh, French-based, but it is an international organization. You have to jump no through a lot intended. of hoops to be a treating. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Um, although there are <laughs> there are no hoops <laughs> well, in equine. Uh, I think that's circus. Um, but anyway, um, it is. You have to pass tests. You have to have lots of education, and then you are licensed to be able to go into these very well-guarded facilities. Uh-huh. You have to sign in and sign out. You can only treat the horse you have been, you know. So with all of that, I'm allowed to tape uh-huh. in those facilities. That is so funny. That's a conversation. Installed. And that's brand that's new. A con- that oh, is a brand, brand new That's a conversation rule. we have it about is. humans all the time is there are certain you know, federations that are like, you, you can't wear tape. It's a performance enhancer kind of thing. It's so funny to hear about it with horses. Well, you, we can, well, you but can tape the, the humans who are that riding the so horse. You cannot tape the horse. Correct. Which is interesting. You used to be able to teach, uh, uh-huh. to uh, tape college athletes in equine. That's been banned due to circumstances that had to do with people wearing a, um, magnet huh. to hold their arms in place when they got caught okay they banned everything including tape so you know that's um you know that's yeah. every organization has its own rules but going back to what you're saying um 90 percent, maybe 95 percent of the horses that i put tape on it stays on and it stays on well for long periods of time there's that small percentage the soft fuzzy, somewhat, um, uh, just that they they feel like okay. they've had lots of product put on them. It's not going to stick. And so you're going to have the, your one in a hundred or whatever, where it's not yeah. going to stick. And then you so do for, something else. That's why it's good to have a toolbox. Forgive me for of, always of kind of, of jumping options. back to human beings, uh, but just in case anybody listening who doesn't work with animals, let's, let's kind of make the analogy. It's the same that we say about tape with a human being on human skin is, uh, too much hair, lotions or oils on the skin, and sometimes it just doesn't stick to, to certain people's skin. So to yeah. take that is almost the same, but the not hair is better. Hair well, is awesome. Long haired yeah. dogs, long haired. I've had it stay on. Really, I'm so glad you said that because everybody keeps asking me that, and I'm not quite now, sure how to answer. If 
it hair is great and i tell my humans uh, for any of you who've had your hair washed and someone you know just gives you that light hair pull how amazingly good does that feel the hair follicle is where great we point. have all of those mechanoreceptors great point. we want to pull hair so gently not we don't want to yank hair but when i do the top line of a dog or i i'm mm -hmm. going right over the spinous processes or doing the spiral line the hairier the better it's it's those yeah. little inner thighs where there's hardly any hair that are more problematic to get it to stick or if it sticks too well to get it to come off so it's interesting yeah. how that goes to both ends of the spectrum but you know um the hairier animals horses in fact, a horse that has just been um, shaved, because they do in, in the uh -huh. big show horses, they're all clipped. Um, yeah. Okay. It helps them keep them clean. Um, and they think it looks better, all of that. That can be more challenging, you know, and definitely creams, lotions are, are they yeah, the glue won't stick. the point. You know, there's, if you're, if you've got, you know, you know, do not put baby oil on and then <laughs> attempt to tape something yeah. like well it's, it helps is, take it off it laughs you at you and smoothly that's um, a great thing to do yeah exactly exactly and taking it off you know in in animals okay i always take it off in the direction of the hair and i my technical term for how i'm telling um clients how to get it off is i say mess with it do not yank it do not grip and rustle it mess with it fiddle with it get it to okay. come up and ruffle it Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ruffle is another word for mess. So your point is really to you. The hair is great. And, and yeah, you know, again, with human beings taping over hair is hair just out. fine. You know, the biggest thing that people get scared of taping over body hair is that it's going to hurt. So that's the thing. you got to make sure it's not going to hurt. Right. And that's just being patient and taking it off slowly. And and in humans, um, I tape humans every day. Um, I just taped someone who hit the ground really hard and her uh, body from her waist down looked like, um, I don't know, a kind of the color of macadam. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty intense subdermal bleeding. Oh, geez. And I taped her from her waist to her knee um, in, in an inflammatory pattern and she's competing today. That's great. There are no wusses in this sport. <laughs> no, um, it is a very tough sport. I've actually seen it. Is, it is a, a tough sport. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the thing is, I, I, I tell them the same thing. You've got to be patient when you take it off your horse. You've got to be patient when you take it off yourself. Uh -huh. Move the skin above the tape in the opposite direction and then mess with it and roll it off. And it's, you know, the, I would say learning not to pull on the tape too much when I'm, if I'm, Yesterday I was um, at a barn and because I, again, I'm leaving town, I mm -hmm. said, look, I want you to make sure that this tape stays on for a little while because it was quite a lot of lower extremity inflammation. Mm -hmm. So I had them video me taping it and I pre-cut it and I left it with them so that they can reapply it. That's great. And, you know, it's, it's nice to empower them to help their own animals and to help them you know correct themselves you know i i'm happy to teach someone how to do their own knee their own ankle i tell them i will not tell you how to do your own back because <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's just bottom line, you know 
but they're traveling, they're on the road. There's not always a, a well-qualified um, human to take care of them. Yeah. So I try to get people to be as responsible as possible to take care of their horse or their dog in the meantime. So, you know, to, to ask maybe the obvious questions that, that I think might come up that might have obvious answers is the tape has the exact same effects that it does on humans as it would on animals. It lifts, it creates neurosensory input, and it also mitigates pain, correct? Yes. Okay. So the tape itself is essentially the, the H2O, the, the more glue, and then also we're most likely using the, the four-inch tape. Is that correct? Um, I use both. I use the four-inch um, on horses because they're larger and most sure. of the areas are, are big enough, but I will use the two-inch sometimes at right at the jaw, at the top of the head or the pole, right over okay. the atlas and occiput or over the feet, oh. um, the two inch comes in really handy. So I like to have both of them. I have an awesome yeah. tool bag that fits my tape, my scissors, my blade, and comes in the stalls with me. So everything's right there at hand. So yeah, you always you need everything there. That's I'm glad you said that too, because that's a big question that always comes up is it's just basically a matter of surface area. If you're taping the back, you probably want a little bit more surface area on such a large animal. But if you're going to Absolutely. smaller areas, you want smaller tape. Exactly. And if I'm doing a star pattern over the hip, yeah. then I'll use two inch and I'll use, a, you know, a, a section where three different pieces will cross right over that hip bone. Uh -huh. And then I'm going to get the greatest amount of lift and decompression uh -huh. right at that spot. Okay. So, you know, it's good to have both is, is really it. But all of the methods that we use on humans apply to horses. I was just going to ask. I like I was, that. I was just going to ask, is it pretty much the same applications or are there unique, yes. are there unique applications to horses or to dogs? Uh, not really any different philosophically. We're okay. still feeding the brain. We're still, you know, talking to those mechanoreceptors. We're still using inflammatory um, channels to get rid of uh, stasis in the fluids. So really it's just uh, a difference of larger and hairier, um, <laughs> but there's, there's no, there's no difference whatsoever that, that I can say we're still using in, I will do awareness along a fascial plane. Okay. I will do um, pretty much the same techniques with the same idea of coordination I'll do, when I tape a person from their left shoulder to their right SI, uh -huh. I call it left front to right hind. Same way I'll talk about helping a horse that has a problem picking up one lead, which when a horse moves forward, they're, they're using the, let's say the right lead will be the right front is, is the um, guiding leg. When they go in the opposite direction, the left front is the guiding leg. And there's an efficient way to do that um, for mobility. If a horse is better on one side than the other, then I will often tape to help the brain connect those dots more efficiently. Same as a human, very so, much the same as a human. Are you saying, just to clarify, are you saying the, the right front would cross over to lead left? No, or do I, have that I would say that if you're going around in a circle, uh -huh. 
that that right lead would be um, in a canter going forward, always um, leading the rest of the body around being pushed forward by its left hind. So you have that diagonal so that they curve without falling in. So they okay. have to be able to, to power, but if they were leading and pushing with their right hind and left front, they would not be able to be balanced around a curve. So that's okay. why there's so there's coordination involved and it, oh, okay. I buzzed. Okay. No, that was um, me buzzing. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, you know, it's it's like any, no matter what you're performing, whether you're playing rugby or you're playing baseball or you're playing, you know, football or you're doing CrossFit, no matter what your sport, there's, there's the treating um, from every level, mm -hmm. whether it's your exercises or your taping or your blading or your adjusting or whatever is done with your outcome in mind. Sure. So... For that, every patient is different. Every dog, every horse, every human. Yeah. But they're unique to themselves, not to their breed. Interesting. How how do the blades come into play? You know, I'm going to assume that's the same as tape. It's the same. The applications that we teach for human beings can still be applied to the horses. Um, yes, but it's what, better. But I it's will, better. I okay. will say that it is so much better because it's way more obvious. Okay. Um, when you're gliding along and you're doing and you're looking at, at Piscini or Ruffini or you're looking to release HA, those different techniques, you're going to actually see the results of what you're doing along the surface. You don't need an ultrasound to see because of their paniculus response, the animal will actually show you and you'll, you'll see rippling effect along a large area, both in a horse and a dog. So there's the demonstration ability when you have somebody watching what you're doing. They don't have to trust that you're feeling glide or feeling restriction to that glide. They can see it. Very and cool. Horses, horses love it so much that I would say almost every horse, well <laughs> into the 90%, when I'm using the blade on them, they feel compelled to groom something or someone else. Uh -huh. So they will start to treat whoever's holding them. How so? Um, uh, they will actually put their mouth, their teeth on them and start to do what you're doing to them <laughs> to a person or another horse. Uh -huh. it, it is like they, they feel so good. They need to pass it forward. That's so and great. It is, it's so incredibly cool. And I video this. Owners aren't there. or The trainers aren't there. Uh -huh. I have my camera out to show them the effect of what I'm doing. I use a, a something called a MagnaWave, which is pulsed electromagnetic therapy, okay. which also on a horse will, I can put it over the sacrum and you can see the ripple effect all the way up to the shoulder. That wow, doesn't cool. happen on humans. So I can say, look at that pattern. Look at what it's telling us. Look where this is connecting to, and they will, you can put it over an area of pain and yet you're getting a ripple effect three feet away down over the uh, issue. And it helps me target what my area of greatest concern mm -hmm. is. I don't need to really know what it means just to know to pay attention to it. I like how you said and that. And then evaluate it other ways. You know, it doesn't mean X. Okay. 
it means, hey, isn't that interesting? Let's let's look further. Wow, that is so. And cool. if you know, it, yeah, then if you're picking up pathologies, the PEMF is really good at letting you know that hey, something big is going on right here. Let's get more diagnostics. Uh-huh. Let's learn from this. So wow. I like that as well. Wow, that is so and, much um, cool stuff. I that's why I try. Um, you know, I that's why I I created the. We, my, the name of what we do is Equiline, uh-huh. and we spell it E-Q-U-A-L-I-G-N because we align equestrians. And that has been my passion for a very long time. But I recently uh, filmed and two courses. Uh, I use that term lightly here since we are professionals, and this is not for professionals, it's for people who just want to know more about horses or, or dogs. And it's called Hands-On the Letter for Canine okay. or Hands-On the Letter for Equine. And those two websites hopefully will be up in the next month. Uh, all the work is done. Now the people who know more than me about how to do that <laughs> are going to make it happen. And that's going to be for people who want to just be, help themselves, help their own horse, help their own dog and learn more uh, because I I feel that if we help teach people how to take care, better care of themselves, uh-huh. you can have the humans. Um, and I tell them how to take better care of their animals. They're going to be better patients, and they're going to respond better. And and that's exciting. So that's hands on the number four canine and hands on four equine. Both dot coms. Both dot coms. And then you have the equine align. Is it? That's not a website. That's more of a. Uh... It's well right now. It's it's on uh, Facebook. Okay. Um, it tells people it, it's sort of an insight into what we do and uh, tells people where we are on this planet. It's sort of the Where's Waldo of my life. <laughs> um, and it's 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 E Q U A L I G M. So it's Equiline. E Q U. Yeah. Not Equine Align, but Equiline. Correct. All right. Correct. So because my logo is really cool. So it's worth it just to look it at the It is logo. really cool. I've seen that before. It's, it's just check that out. You just like just like cool <laughs> logos. So, Thank Wendy, you. one one thing uh, that I really want to ask you because honestly, in a lot of our human courses, which I'm now going to start referring to them as, um, we get a lot of people asking, <laughs> like, "Hey, I work with horses. When are you guys doing a taping course?" And I say to them, "We always look for people to host us because I think the hardest thing, if you can call it that, is." having a barn because obviously if you're taking a horse taping course you want horses to practice the tape on so how can someone if they've got a barn or connections to a barn set up a course to have rock tape come teach well there's two ways they can axton who is the equine um part of rock tape and she can arrange it or they can contact me directly and i will make it happen because um, teaching this is extremely rewarding. The facility needs to be a place where we can sit and talk and learn. So you want to be able Mm -hmm. to do a PowerPoint presentation in a comfortable atmosphere and have access to horses where we can work at them no matter what the weather is. So we need some indoor um, accommodations, either a very wide uh, aisle in stalls because you don't really need a room as long as there's uh, open access my favorite places to teach are the equine colleges you know and where they have everything pre-set up and they're always happy yeah 
to have extra courses. So if there's a local one in your town where um, there is an equine rehab facility or an equine college, those are the places that are, are generally excited. Can you repeat the name of the Rock Tape contact? There was a, a little bit of, uh, it, you cut out a little bit there. Sure. Her name is Kit, K-I-T, Axton, A-X-T-O-N, and it's um, Kit at Rock Yeah, so Kit, you can contact Kit or you can contact Wendy to set it up. And, you know, like, like we say with all our courses, we're, we always look for hosts. Um, so there are some parameters to follow, obviously. Um, and then uh, they'll take it from there to kind of get everybody set up. Wendy, where can people find you on uh, social media or even just how to, how to get a hold of you? Well, the easiest way is to get a hold of me is um, through mm -hmm. Equiline on Facebook. That's very simple. Just um, contact me that way or contact me by email. My email is docwalk. D O C W O C. Does WOC stand for anything? When, well, yes, because it was Dr. Wendy. My maiden name was. Oh, Kosinski, there you go. Okay. So it's <laughs> Doc Lock. There you go. Yeah, it's, of uh, course, yeah. it was easy. So check out Wendy. Uh, send her an email if you have any questions about anything. You know, Facebook is always a great thing to drop in those questions too. And Wendy, I've seen you frequent the Facebook uh, medical professionals page. So anybody who is a uh, certified rock doc, if you have questions just regarding animal taping, drop in a question right there. And uh, hopefully Wendy will see it and be able to answer it for you. Yeah, that's true. Also, hands-on for um, canine and hands-on for equine both have their own pages. And I put lots of pictures up of uh, the animals. What is the, what is the exact name of those, of those groups? On Facebook. Um, hands, H-A-N-D-S-O-N, on letter four, canine, okay. so same as the website. So hands-on for canine, yep. hands-on for same as the website. Uh, equine. Uh, Equine or equine, it doesn't matter, right? Um, exactly. No. It doesn't matter. It depends yeah, where, exactly. what side of Mississippi you're on. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for, <laughs> for taking time and chatting. This was uh, an amazing discussion. I learned so much that I didn't know and, and so much cool stuff about animals. Awesome. Uh, and really hope to talk about a little bit more with you some other time. And, and I'll probably have some questions I'll drop into the Facebook page uh, a little bit later. Anytime. All right. I would love Thank that. Thank you so much. I would Wendy. love that. It was fun. You too. You have a Talk great to you day. Bye-bye. All right. Great conversation with Wendy. Wendy gave me so much cool new information, a lot of stuff that I just didn't know that fascinated me with animals and then their human counterparts and how everything kind of pieces together. I got to apologize right off the bat as you're listening to that. It probably sounded like I was talking over Wendy a little bit. The edit went through with the system that I use. It records two uh, sides of a conversation basically over the phone. And it seemed as if it uh, edited weirdly and it uh, made it sound like I was talking over Wendy. I was definitely not doing that, so I do apologize if it seemed a little odd. I uh, did what I could to try to fix that, but I couldn't really get a lot of uh, better results than what we got. So I do apologize. I want to give you the best quality podcast that I can every time I give you a new one. Speaking of giving you some new information... We usually bring you an interview every other week. I want to give you some more content. So in between those interviews, what I'm going to provide to you is a very short episode, probably about 10 minutes or under, about a tip or trick 
to use one of the rock tape tools to get you better in practice and get your clients and your patients better. So it could be pods, it could be floss, it could be blades, it could be tape. It could be something about a cool tweak tape application that's great for SI dysfunction. Could be whatever. I'm going to poll a lot of our practitioners, a lot of our instructors, and ask for those unique tips and tricks so we can share those things. I want to give you something nice and quick to have every week with you in between these interviews. And please don't forget, you can always reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram at drjohncampione. That's Dr. John Campione on Twitter and Instagram. Please also do not forget, go to rocktape.com and register for Rockstock 2018 going down October 27th and 28th in Miami, Florida. There's going to be a ton of movement, a ton of music, a lot of fun, laughter, and yes, there will be CEUs available. In fact, I am going to be providing you one of those courses that will give you some CEUs. I'm going to be talking about environmental resiliency, and I've got some really, really cool concepts that I want to share with you. With every single one of our courses, we're going to get you guys up and moving. We're going to give you things to walk away with so that Monday morning when it comes around, you can work with your patients and utilize every piece of information that you took from that summit. So please go to rocktape.com. Register for Rockstock and please use the code RTPODCASTERS18 for $100 off your registration. My gift to you guys and I really want to see you there and I want to be able to meet all you awesome listeners and I want to give you the opportunity to network with so many amazing clinicians that you're going to be around at Rockstock this year. So go check that out, please. If you want to get a hold of Wendy, don't forget to get a hold of her on social media. She's got hands on the number four canine.com and hands on the number four equine.com coming soon. But she's also at Equiline on Facebook. That's E Q A E Q U A, excuse me, E Q U A L I G H on Facebook. And also docwalk at gmail.com, D-O-C-W-O-C at gmail.com. And again, if you want to host a course, if you have a stable, you have horses, and you want to host a course, email Wendy or email kitaxton at rocktape.com. That's K-I-T-A-X-T-O-N at rocktape.com. We love to have people reach out to host our events. Thank you so much for downloading the Rocktape Podcast. 